0: Rock Hills. Am I on? Excellent. i uh sitting over there watching Love Baptisms. Love Baptisms because it is a sign of a big change in people's lives and I was engrossed in it and I realized I didn't have my mic back. <laughs> so those of you sitting over there saw the awesome dismount that I did as I got up, tripped, Trying to get over to get my mic back. So, I am Stephen, the klutziest elder and member of the uh, teaching team here. And today we thank you. Thank you. We are, I, I like clapping for low hurdles. That's good. Um, I, uh, today we're continuing and actually finishing our series on Creed. We're talking about the Apostles' Creed, which is just a verbal affirmation of things that are important to our faith. So, the last part of the Apostles' Creed says, I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and all of those were topics we've talked about in the last weeks. And Today, I'm talking about the last part, the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. So my topic is heaven and everlasting life. And whenever I start thinking about what I'm going to say, I think about, well, what does the average person think When they think of heaven. So I thought, well, what's the common image? And maybe it's because I'm older what's the common image we have as a culture of heaven? And I think it's a departed person on a cloud with a harp. Believe it or not, this was the best picture. We could find on the internet, they were cheesier than this, most of them. I think the guy is a little bit sassy for not having a face. But anyway, this is a common cultural image we have of what happens when you die. You're up in heaven just strumming along, kind of happy, kind of mindless. I think another image that we have or another way that we think about heaven, I think a lot of people think of it as a kind of story that you tell a child to make them feel better when something or someone they love has has died. Um, So I have an example. Yeah, you know, we'll tell them, well, the the cat's in heaven now. And I think that people use this illustration, even if they don't really have any kind of belief about it, they will just use that illustration. Another thing I thought of is, well, there are some people that just think of heaven as a nice fairy tale, right? Not problematic, really, but make-believe, something like a unicorn, right? They won't like it if you talk about sin as being real, but if you talk about heaven, that's fine because everybody has positive feelings, but they'll think maybe it's make-believe. And the last way, and I think this is the way that might be the most common, is to use the word heavenly to describe something especially beautiful or comfortable. On business trips, I've stayed at the Weston and they will advertise that they have the heavenly bed. You got to stay here because the heavenly bed. And it's like you are in heaven already, right? So it's kind of a word that just means good or comfortable or beautiful. So that's what I think the world kind of thinks of when they think of heaven or what we think of in the U.S. But now what I'm going to talk about is God's perspective of heaven as told to us In the Bible. And what's true is that God has promised his children, those who have placed their faith in Christ, an everlasting paradise. An everlasting paradise. So I'm going to read to you a little bit, or I'm going to go over a little bit of the scripture that talks about what heaven or life after death will be like for those who are Christians. And the first thing we know is that heaven or paradise is something that occurs right after the point of death. And we know this because Jesus himself, when he was crucified, had two criminals crucified, one on either side of him. Is how we picture it, one on either side of him. And these criminals have a little discussion with each other. One of the criminals, this is from Luke 23, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus, saying, aren't you the Messiah? Why don't you save yourself and us? But the other criminal rebuked the first criminal, Don't you fear God, he says, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing. Then he said, this second criminal said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now realize what this is, right? He's saying Jesus will ascend to a kingdom, and he's saying it's your kingdom. This is claiming that Jesus is God. God, right? Because God's the one who has the kingdom after death. And for this simple act of faith, Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you today, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. The suffering is almost over. And then today you will be with me in paradise. So what we learn from this is that it's immediate after death, that if you have placed your faith in Jesus, that you will be with him in paradise. And this is a wonderful mystery of our faith and thing that's hard to understand that God's grace is such that even a criminal on the cross with his last act can believe in Jesus and his sins are forgiven and he will live with Jesus in paradise. This is an amazing thing because we, we do not deserve the grace that God has given us. That's what grace is. So that is something we know about heaven is that it's immediate right after we die. And we also know that the existence we will have is something beyond that which we can even imagine. There is a good description of this in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is the last book in the Bible. Takes place after Jesus died, and one of his disciples, John, was on this island, um, was on this island called Patmos, and he was shown a vision of things that are to come in the future, things that were to come way in the future for John. So it's kind of an interesting book. It's kind of symbolic but it's also partly symbolic because he was seeing technology and things that he had never seen before. But in this, everlasting life is described as a new heaven and a new earth. So I'm going to read from Revelation 21. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away. This is taking place at the end of the earth, at the end of the earth that God has said is going to happen. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, The new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And here's the important part for us who are here now, who us who are living now. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. This is the life, the existence that is promised. If you have put your faith in Christ, this is the existence that is promised. After you die and after the end of the earth, it is an existence of beauty and an existence where there is no more death, no more crying, no more pain. We will be united with God forever. Not playing a harp on a cloud, right? (laughs) But... United and being in his presence and being in community with each other for eternity. And the other thing, the final thing I wanted to say that the scripture ha- tells us about heaven is that we will have new bodies. This is this is very exciting. I'm hoping for the Dave Lance model, personally. That's what I'm hoping for with a new body. But I think it's important because, especially as we age or different people experience different points in their life, your physical body can become a hindrance, and a hard part of life. So let's look at what it says in 1 Corinthians. It's the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies, for just as there are natural bodies They're also spiritual bodies. We know people who in this life, their body is in a normal struggle. We know people with cancer. We know people with mental illness for whom the body is a prison and a cage. And what we are promised here is that we will have a new body that is perfect. In fact, in Philippians, it says, Christ will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body so for those that have whose bodies are failing, we know that this is short-term because in heaven we will be raised to perfect bodies. And I think it's important to talk a little bit about the relationship of the body and the soul now because as human beings, we are we have bodies, but we are also a soul. And our being is both body and soul. Yeah? So... God even says this to us. God says that we in Second Corinthians 5 1, he says, We know that the if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Right? We are more than just a body. We are a soul, an eternal soul. And it's not that the body is bad. In fact, when God created human beings, he looked at it and said it's good, it's that we are more complex than just our current earthly body. I'm going to read something to you that, like, really hit home for me. I read this in a book, uh, a book about an atheist trying to explain why religion is false and different things, but it struck me completely opposite way. In fact, I have a feeling that this morning, October 2, 2016, I'm going to blow your mind with science, Okay. Everybody ready for their minds to be blown? This is a... Well, wow, thank you. This is a, this is a, um, a quote from a, a computer scientist named Steve Grant. And I'm going to ask you... He asked you to imagine something. I'm going to ask you to actually do this, to imagine it. Think of an experience from your childhood, something you remember clearly, something you can see, feel, maybe even smell, as if you're really there. After all, you really were there at the time, right? How else would you remember it? So think of something... I'll say for a positive memory, a positive memory from your childhood, right, that you experienced so strongly, you can smell it, you can still hear it. Here's the bombshell. You weren't there. There is not a single atom in your body that was there when that event took place. Matter flows from place to place. Those electrons, those atoms change out over time and momentarily come together to be you. Whatever you are, therefore, this is a scientist, right? Or a computer. Whatever you are, therefore, you are not the stuff of which you're made. And I read that and said, it's an earthly tent, man. The tent gets patched, but the me does not change. I am still a soul, and it's God sees my soul over time. And that soul has an eternal existence, this point hit home so dramatically, I just must say this, hit home pretty dramatically for me. I went to the funeral, or a memorial service actually, for uh, Rose Jensen's father. And Larry gave the eulogy and described this man, this wonderful man. And then the next thing that happened was a slideshow, that I think Larry also put together, of uh, Nolan over time. So you see the picture of him as a young man and then as a a middle-aged man, as an older man. And you just realize he was the same soul over time. It's the body that changes, not who he is that changes. We are a body and a soul. And I'm going to explain why that's important because I think a big mistake that we make is focusing only or thinking only about what happens after we die the bible tells us that if we have put our faith in christ we are members of the king or subjects of the kingdom of heaven right now today sitting here in rockville church if you put your faith in christ you are part of the kingdom of heaven now it's described i think three different ways in the bible one is as a kingdom Right? One is as a kingdom. This is what people at the time would have really known and related to. Jesus, when he was here in his parables, would start out a lot of times, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. But the important word there to me is, is. It is like. It not, it's not that it will be like. The kingdom of heaven is like, and when you read those parables, they're talking about how you interact on earth being already part of the kingdom of heaven. It's also described sometimes as citizenship. Philippians 3.20 says, our citizenship is in heaven. Our relationship to God, and that's is, right? That's is, not will be. Our citizenship is, we are already citizens of heaven. Our relationship to God is also described as being part of his family, right? 1 John 3.1, listen to this. This is, you know, we are sinners and God sent his son to die to pay the penalty for our sin. And then he says, see what the great love, what great love the father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. That is what we are. He's writing to living people. That is what we are now, not when you die. That is what we are now. There are other verses in Ephesians. It says that you are uh, fellow citizens with the saints. And it says you're no longer in Galatians. You're no longer a slave, but God's child. Since you are his child, God has made you an heir. Beautiful, beautiful imagery. But just notice that it is and are. And I really like how it's three different descriptions, kingdom, family, citizen, because different uh, different things Strike people differently. Yeah. Um, you know, we've had Al talk to us about how for him, the image of father, until he became a Christian, the image of father was not a positive image. So for him, though, probably having been a citizen uh, and being in the Navy and serving his country, citizen would have really resonated with him. I like other three different scriptures, they're all describing a supernatural thing in human terms. So we are members, citizens of heaven now. So the question becomes, knowing this, How do we live our lives knowing that we are citizens of heaven, that we are part of the kingdom of heaven? And when I thought about this, I thought about what kind of example can I give? And I can give an example of being a citizen or a member of one place and living in another because after my sophomore year of college, I spent uh, time in Germany uh, with a host family, kind of like an exchange student, because my university had a program where you could get your second year of language credit uh, by staying at night with the host family, and then during the day, six hours a day, you were doing German language class. And my host family and I, we had great relationship. We got along really, really well. They ended up coming to my wedding. I mean, we'd stayed good friends. Um, but part of my experience there is realizing I'm not a citizen. I'm not a citizen of this place. And, a lot, of course, a lot of it came from the language, learning the language. My absolute favorite little story that happened about... My Having trouble with the language, it was early in my visit there my host father host mother, and I went jogging through the woods by their house. We came back. We were all sweaty, so everybody wanted a shower and The shower in the bathroom I was using had had mechanical problems, so my host father said to me, "This is in German, of course he spoke no English, maybe four words, and they were usually dangerous because he got it wrong but um, He said to me in German, made a very nice offer, Stephen, if your shower doesn't work, you can use my shower. And that's the proper translation of what he said. Um, (laughs) He used a construction that we don't really use in English, so it wasn't automatic to me, and I had to kind of translate it. And I've translated one little word wrong, just one word. So when he said to me, Stephen, if your shower doesn't work, you can use my shower, what I thought he said was, Stephen, if your shower doesn't work, you can shower with me. <laughs> so there was an awkward pause. And, and I said, uh, nine, which means, uh, no. <laughs> then I realized what happened. I said, oh, you didn't say this. You said that. Then, oh, Stephen, no, 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 no. So, but it was a good family situation and we could laugh about it. Really. It drew us closer together from this and other mistakes that I made. But there are other things you learn about not being a citizen or not being a member of the place where you are. Uh, One thing, you know, uh, table manners, right? Table manners are completely arbitrary. And I was taught by my parents to have my left hand in my lap, which seems kind of weird, like if you think historically, because I would think hands where you can see them is probably a better system over history. But I would have my hand in my lap, and they'd always say, because I was from Texas, Stephen, do you normally have a pistol down there? Is that why you've got your your hand in your lap saying no? Another thing you don't know is, like, if you leave your knife and fork crossed on your plate, this means I didn't like the meal. This means this is bad. And you don't know that, and you can make mistakes because you are not a citizen. You didn't grow up. You don't know the customs. So what I want to talk about then is how should we live knowing that Yes, we live here, we're on earth, but our citizenship is in heaven. Well, one thing that's true is that we are called to live life differently than others because our citizenship is in heaven. We are called to turn the other cheek and pray for those who curse you. And, you know, we can laugh about it a little bit, but people will tell you you're being foolish. Why are you doing that? because I'm not a citizen of this place. I've been told by my father, my heavenly father, what I should do. We're told to obey our authorities, and this is one I have trouble with. Why are you going so slow? I'm going the speed limit because the authorities tell me to, right? People won't understand that, why you might do something different and think of these rules as as an authority to obey. Another thing we're told, man, this is super hard for me because I'm super extrovert, is to control your tongue. Right, We're told by James that controlling the tongue is the hardest thing to do, and we're taught to do that. We are called to live life differently because we are citizens of heaven. And another thing I think, because we're called to live life differently, we can expect to be um, misunderstood. Misunderstood. When you do something that's clearly right and someone has convinced themselves... It's okay if I break the rules. They're not going to like you for it all the time. Or when you tell them, I go to church, they may have all kinds of associations about people from church that have hurt them and not treat you well. When I was in Germany, I got to go again um, because the first time I had met this student and became pen pals, the guy in East Germany, and this was right before the wall fell, the Berlin Wall. Berlin Wall fell November 9th, 1989. I got to be in Germany, in East Berlin, visiting someone I had met in December of 1989. First time under freedom. They got to celebrate. It was an exciting time. But on my way there from Ziegen, where my host family lived, I stopped in this little town called Magdeburg, and it was December, and it was cold, and there, was very, there were very few people in the train station, but there was a little hut, cabin-looking thing, one room where you could sit and be warmer. There was another guy in there who was lying down on the benches where you're really supposed to sit. He was not in good shape. The eyes were bloodshot, not making a whole lot of sense. Um... But what does an extrovert who wants to learn German do? Talk to him, of course. What else am I going to do, right? So we were talking and we were talking. And then he discovered that I was an American. And again, he was pretty pretty far gone, tipsy-wise. But started telling me things like, everyone who has ever died in the world has died because of Americans. And I mean, it's just all this stuff. Now, you know, it may have been a little bit dangerous. Just to everyone know, I, I was conscious of where the door was and thought in his state, I could clearly outrun him in case he got violent. But he made assumptions about me that weren't good, right? And I think this can happen to us in our Christian life. The Bible says the world may, Jesus said, the world may hate you, may hate you. Let's look at John 15 the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. This is Jesus. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Something that can happen. We're called to love those people anyway because we are citizens of heaven. I think another thing that we need to remember, and this is the hardest thing, I think, in our lives to remember, and that's to remember that we are children of God and we are already forgiven for the sins we committed past, present, and future. Hebrews 10, verses 17 to 18 says, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Romans 8.1 says, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is hard to live this truth, right? Because we feel guilty about the things that we do wrong. We don't live as if we're already forgiven. We think sometimes, and I'm talking about me too, like we think how could I ever minister to somebody if they knew this about me? I am not worthy of this. But God does not see our sin. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, God does not see your sin. He sees only the sacrifice that his son made. We are forgiven. And because of this forgiveness, we should forgive others as well. Because whatever they've done to us, there are worse things that we have done to God. And God has forgiven us for that. God has forgiven us for that. We need to remember that we're forgiven. Forgiven past, present, and future. And live like we're forgiven and forgive others. The Bible also tells us to store up treasures in heaven. It tells us, and what this means, is to do things for the kingdom you belong to, for the kingdom where you live. It says in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 20, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. This sometimes to me feels a little bit like a contradiction, right? We had the thief on the cross who was forgiven everything he's done. That's right, that's right. Your sins are forgiven. But it's also clear in several places in the scripture that when we do work for the kingdom, we store up treasures in heaven, that God recognizes this and it's good for us to store up these treasures. And what this verse is saying is don't worry yourself so much with wealth on earth worry about the things you can do that build up the kingdom that bring more people to the kingdom storing up treasures in heaven is something that we need to do we need to forgive people and by doing so we store up treasures in heaven now how can we remember how can we remember i've got two ways i think this is something i kind of emphasize every time i talk you know, when I was there, I'm a, I'm a worst-case scenario guy. My mom and I are both worst-case scenario people. If I show up five minutes, le- five minutes early for something, everyone else would say, wow, you're early. My mom and I would say, we were almost late. Because, <laughs> you know, something could have happened along the way. And, you know, I just could have. So, um, <laughs> so when I was staying in Germany, you know, we were staying with host families. There were 21 of us. And most people did not carry their passport with them every single time. They would like leave it at their host house, right? Not a worst case scenario guy, WCS. No, no, no. That passport, you never know. The police could come You could come into the universe, to the class. They could, oh, come on, got to have the passport. And that passport is kind of a hard document. It's like, you know, it's not just paper. It's kind of a hard side, a little bit plastic. Constant reminder, constant reminder, this is not your home, right? Your home is somewhere else. Constant reminder in my pocket, and I think the scripture, going to the scripture yourself, that is a constant reminder that this is not your home. I encourage you, if you're a citizen of heaven, to remind yourself with scripture. I encourage you to remind yourself with uh, being around other Christians. Those are the two things I think I try to point people to every time. Read scripture, be around other Christians. It's important. You know, when, we were, when I was in Germany, this group of us, we got... Occasionally we would get tired of the of talk, speaking in other languages and having, Germans were very philosophical, the ones we were around because we were around university students and they just liked to for a long time about deep stuff and why America's bad and all this stuff. So after a while, we just wanted to talk about silly stuff with each other. But the problem was the Germans were all good at English, right? You know what stopped them? You know what stopped those clever Germans? Pig Latin. <laughs> Not kidding. We'd be on the bus and, like, wanted to say something. We'd say it in Pig Latin. And they're like, what? What is this? So, so it was really fun that that children's game stopped them. But what was important to say is that those of us who were citizens of, each, of Texas of I and mean, understood each other yeah, thank you. <laughs> needed occasionally to be around each other to refresh, to sharpen the saw to talk about how to interpret the things that were going on. And I think that's important in our spiritual lives to to be around other people who are on the same journey. So folks, if you have placed your faith in Christ today, God has promised us an everlasting paradise when we die. But if you have placed your faith in Christ, you're a citizen of heaven now, today, as you sit here. And our job is to live understanding that friendship. But as I've been saying all morning, the first step of this is putting your faith in Christ. God has told us that everybody sins, everybody does things that are wrong. That the law was given, that the, that the rules were given because it shows that you cannot earn your way on your own. But God sent his son Jesus to die in our stead to pay the penalty that was earned by our sin. And All you have to do is place your faith in him. And you are welcomed into the kingdom of heaven. If you have questions about this, please talk to me afterwards, Pastor Adam, talk to him, talk to Jacques, there are other people in the room, but talk to one of us, talk to the prayer partners at the end. It's important. It's the most important decision that you can make. So I wanted to close just with one idea. I was blown away last week. I don't know how many of you were here uh, for the video about Uh, Nate Saint. These were the five missionaries in Ecuador who went to uh, proclaim the gospel to a known violent tribe in Ecuador. And they brought with them guns. They brought with them guns and decided, but we're not going to use these Because if we die, if our earthly tent goes away, we know where our citizenship is. And through their deaths, they were murdered. Through their deaths, and then the follow-up, their relatives going back to live with the people that had murdered them, they come to Christ, right? These missionaries knew where their citizenship was. And as I was thinking about this, I'm thinking, you know, so often I don't have that perspective, When people are mean to me or something, I want to have a drop the mic moment, right? I sit there thinking, here's the perfect thing that I could say. But I think as citizens of heaven, our job is not to drop the mic. Our job, no matter how broken we are, and as people are in the middle of hurting us, and as our bodies are physical, earthly tents are crumbling, our job is to hold that mic up to heaven so that people around us can hear God's message. That is our job as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the promise you have made to us of eternal life. I pray that anyone here who has not taken that first step would today have the courage to do so, would today talk to someone at church that can help them with that. But I pray that you'd help me and others remember today where our citizenship lies and to live as citizens of your kingdom.